Hello, everybody. This is the Real Estate Exam Prep Podcast. My name's Stu, and I'm going to be your host. Are you someone who's having trouble studying for your real estate exam? Did you maybe take the test and fall a few points short, or maybe more than a few points short? We're here to help. We're going to deliver this information in concise, simple ways so that it's easy for you to understand. We're going to give you study tips and as much information as humanly possible to help you prepare for the exam in an easy to understand manner. Now, we do have a ton of resources available at our website at www.helpmepassmyexam.com. Once again, that is www.helpmepassmyexam.com. Over there, you'll find links to our YouTube channel, our Facebook community, as well as links to sign up for private tutoring and so much more. So without further ado, thank you for listening and hopefully you join our community. You let us know how you're enjoying the material and let us know also how we can help you further in your real estate exam prep as well as your career after that. So enjoy the episode and remember, go over to our website at www.helpmepassmyexam.com. In this episode, we're going to be covering fair housing. Now, there's a couple of important things that I need to note right up front when it comes to fair housing. There are federal laws, and there are also state laws. Now, in the practice of real estate, the more restrictive law will always take precedence over any of the other laws. So, in most cases, the state laws are more restrictive than the broader federal laws. So, when you're taking your test, I think it's really important for you to be able to identify what law they are actually referring to and are they isolating this or are they taking this into consideration with also your state level laws now some of you may be taking tests where the state information your state portion is separate from the national portion in those cases it's probably a little easier for you to identify and to be able to figure out what laws are they speaking of but If you're in a state where you're taking a combined test, where they're basically mushed together, then what happens is you have to really look for contextual clues within the answer, and the author should make it very, very easy for you to understand and to figure out what law that they're referring to. I know when I write questions, I usually use markers such as according to federal fair housing according to or I will simply say the federal fair housing the civil rights act I will allude to that in some manner shape or form sometimes the answers also will give you contextual clues as to what are they referring to and don't automatically think that if you see your state's Um, state-specific law as one of the answers, that 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 means that it's a state-specific question. Again, this is really one of the more tricky aspects of 
this section, and I've actually hesitated in making this podcast and doing this recording because I wanted to really get my script as down as possible so that this flowed for you in a really nice, easy-to-understand fashion. And what we're going to be discussing today are going to be the two federal fair housing laws and the anti-discriminatory practices that are illegal that you cannot partake in as a real estate professional, as a member of the real estate industry, so on and so forth. Now, keep in mind this as well. The questions that you will get in these sections are really going to be super scenario based. So you're going to really have to apply your knowledge very, very well in these sections. There's going to be scenarios where they'll say, is this good advertising? Is this not good advertising? So the last little bit of information that I'm going to leave you with is going to be this. Always, always, always choose that it's discrimination if you absolutely are 100% guessing. And I say that as a good rule of thumb that most of the questions are basically looking for you to identify that yes, this practice is discrimination. So if you get a fair housing question and you absolutely cannot take any kind of process of elimination out, anything like that, and you are totally flipping a four-sided coin, err on the side of it is discrimination. Because I would say probably seven to eight out of 10 of the times, you're going to be correct in that answer in regards to what's what is the scenario describing for you. So, without further ado, let's jump into the two federal laws and let's discuss them a little bit. So the first law is going to be the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Keep in mind, this is a federal law. So basically what this is, is it's an extension of the 14th Amendment. This was basically in the pursuit and the efforts of the federal government to uh, guarantee equal housing, uh, that these opportunities would arise to, you know, the vast majority of people. So the Civil Rights Act of 1866 is a law that says that you cannot discriminate based on race. So you cannot discriminate based on race. Now, I am going to take you a little bit through the history of this law because I think that it's important in regards to how some teachers and how some books write it. So I will tell you this. There were court cases and there have been situations that in practice, and and again, I'm telling you right now, some practical applications of this. There's been specifically a case in 1987 that basically said that different types of religious groups could be lumped into the categorization of race. And race is a protected class still. The Civil Rights Act of 1866, even though I just said that there was a case in 1987 which might lump some religious groups into race categorization, what I will tell you is this. It's very important to understand the Civil Rights Act of 1866 is race. 
Now, there also are some cases that came about that said that it might expand to color, okay? So you might hear some of your instructors saying that as well. Again, in practice, yes, these the Civil Rights Act of 1866 has been adjudicated on and has um, had cases that were brought to um, lower courts, to Supreme Courts, and all of these cases have been adjudicated, they have been ruled on, and what I will tell you is this, in practice, yes, you could loosely tie religion, color into the Civil Rights Act of 1866, and again, for some instructors and in some textbooks, in order to bring uh, some you know, uh, entertainment value to the classroom and to also just show you that there's a practical side of it. Sometimes what they do is they do tell you stories. They would go into a little bit more about the court cases. And what I'm going to tell you is this. Those are not as important as your ability to be able to identify that the Civil Rights Act of 1866 is discrimination based on color. And there are no exceptions that are allowed to this law. So if they ever say to you, based on the Civil Rights Act of 1866, what exceptions are there? The answer to that is no, no way, no way, Jose, absolutely not. So that is the situation there with that one law, the Civil Rights Act of 1866. It protects people based on being, being discriminated based on race, loosely color, sometimes religion if you wanted to get into the practicality of it, but always race. And there are no exceptions to that whatsoever. Now, fast forward just a little bit. We're going to go over 100 years since the Civil Rights Act of 1866, and we're going to talk about the Federal Fair Housing Act of 1968. Now, the, the first passage of it included several different uh, protected classes. And let me tell you what those are. The protected classes that were included in 1968 are that of race, color, religion, and national origin. And this prohibited the discrimination uh, when selling or leasing residential property. So it went into the sale or lease of properties when it came to um, residents. So when we say residential, we're referring to one to four family units. Okay. Uh, so that is the situation there, but they did allow, and, and this is really important because I, I think that you will get questions on this, on the test, as far as where the exceptions lie for this law. And what I'm going to do is first outline some of the exceptions, some of the notable exceptions, then what I'm going to do is tell you about the two amendments. There were several protected classes that were added later on to this law. So, that being said, let's first talk about the exceptions. So, one notable exception is a private club that is not open to the public. They may restrict the rental or occupancy of lodgings that it owns to its members only, as long as the lodgings are not operated commercially. So what does that mean? That means that a private club can say, okay, we are going to only have 
the rental or occupancy of these lodgings to our members. And also another important thing that I will say is that membership to the club cannot be restricted based on being a member of a protected class. So you couldn't have a club that would say, hey, you're, you're African-American, you can't be a member of our club, but we're going to restrict access to our lodging here uh, only to members, because that's a quasi kind of sideways way around the laws. Now, something else that's important to note, religious organizations may restrict to people of the same religion if membership of the organization is not restricted based on race, color, national origin, disability, or familial status. So basically, again, the religion cannot discriminate. If they do, okay, if they say, hey, look, and it's the same thing with the private club. Private club cannot do that either. Just like I was saying to you guys, it's something that the membership to that organization, to that uh, private club, or to that religion cannot be based solely on you not being a member of one of those protected classes. So religious organizations could also um, could restrict their uh, any lodgings or dwellings that they own, okay? Another f- common, common question is the rental of rooms or units they are exempt in owner-occupied one to four family dwellings. Okay, so the rental or of rooms or units are going to be exempt if an owner-occupied one to four family dwelling is what they are renting out. So you'll hear some of the questions ask you. So the owner is occupying. The owner lives in one of the units, and it's a twenty-unit building. Well, that's not considered residential anymore. That's considered a commercial apartment building. And no, you couldn't discriminate in that situation. So that would be an example of a time at which you wouldn't be able to, because again, it's not a one to four family unit. Okay. So that's the situation when it comes to the exemptions that you have for the Federal Fair Housing Act. Now, keep in mind, your state-specific law might have different exemptions and it also has different things that you are going to probably have to know for your state specific portion or state specific questions so in a lot of questions that you'll see on the national exam one of the famous ones asks about what is not a protected class and the answer to it is homosexuals are not protected that's one of the answers they give in each one of those questions and they're not protected on any federal law as of right now they are not protected so mostly they kick that back to the states making this a state level decision as to whether or not it is discriminatory, okay, and it is illegal to discriminate on someone based on their sexual orientation. Again, on a federal level, that is not the case. And I always told you guys, in practice, the more restrictive law is going to apply. So because in practice, the more restrictive law applies, can you operate in a state that's on the state level says, 
you cannot discriminate against homosexuals, but on a federal level says you can, could you discriminate on someone based on their sexual orientation? And the answer is in practice, no. But what we're looking for when we're prepping for the exam, again, we're looking for the information that we need to know to help us identify the questions being asked and what answer are they looking for. So there's two important amendments to the Federal Fair Housing Act of 1968, and they occurred in two separate years. In 1974, they added sex or gender as a protected class. And when I say sex or gender in 1974, I'm referring to male-female. So you cannot discriminate on someone due to the fact that they are male or female in based on the Federal Fair Housing Act of 1968 as of 1974. That is when that amendment passed. So sometimes they might write a question, and this is a very popular one. Can someone put an advertisement up that says... If, oh, seeking a female roommate only. You know, they're 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 renting a room in their home and they're only seeking a female roommate. Well, yes, they can because the 74 Amendment applies to the 68 Fair Housing Act. And we know that any owner who is occupying a one-to-four family uh, unit and is going to be renting out either a room or a unit in that uh, in, in that. Uh, one to four family situation, that yes, they can discriminate. They they can do that based on the Federal Fair Housing Act. Again, I give you the caveat, know your state laws, please. This will help make it very clear for you. Okay, and also be cognizant of what it is that you are being asked. Okay, be very cognizant of that. Be, be aware of what you're being asked in the question. And I, I can't stress that enough. Now, we have one more amendment for the 1968 Federal Fair Housing Act, and that is going to be in 88. There were two new classes that were added. One was mental and physical handicaps, and this included AIDS victims and familial status. Okay, basically families that had children or things like that. You couldn't discriminate on someone based on them having children. Okay. So, the mental or physical handicaps, including AIDS victims, why do they put that in there? And they will ask you questions about AIDS victims specifically because you have to understand it is a contextual, it's a time-based contextual information there. They're just coming off the AIDS epidemic. So, this is a situation that I would say is very, very time-relevant. So what happens is a lot of situations are really, you know, stem from the social aspect of what's going on at that time. 1974, a lot of um, women's rights movements, things of that nature. So gender definitely makes sense. Makes sense that that's happening. 88 makes sense that they're going to explicitly include AIDS victims. Now, in the year that we're in, you know, postmodern era, we wouldn't think to include AIDS victims as someone that would be discriminated against because 
And that's just something that, you know, people live with now. Medicine has gotten so fantastic. Knock on wood, that's absolutely a beautiful thing. That it's not something that we really have to... I mean, it is a horrible disease, but in comparison to the 80s, no, we, we didn't have to... Uh, we've had so many advances that people are living longer, healthier, wonderful, fulfilling lives with AIDS. Um, and that was not the case in the early 80s to mid-80s. So, yes, that is the situation there. Now, something that is important to mark in your notes is this. Alcoholics in treatment are always going to be considered to have a mental handicap. Illicit or illegal substance abusers are not going to be considered to have a protect to be a member of protected class under physical under mental capability mental disabilities excuse me because they are considered to be criminal and it's going to fall under the fact that alcohol is legal so because alcohol is legal they are always going to consider based on the federal fair housing act that alcoholics are going to be a protected class, whereas to drug abusers are not. Now, I will say this, and this is something important to note in regards to the Federal Fair Housing Act, and then we're going to get into our discriminatory practices. Housing intended for older persons is exempt from familial status requirements if it is solely occupied by persons 62 and older or if 80% of the units are occupied by at least one person 55 or older and the housing facility or community publishes and adheres to policies and procedures that demonstrate this intent to be housing for older purposes and also complies with certain regulatory laws. So this is a situation where you will get situations where you will have Um, you will have a lot of people that are going to run into situations where you're going to basically have 55 and older communities. You're going to have uh, a lot of adult, active adult communities are calling them. And the rule of thumb is if they are solely occupied by 62 and older, or if 80% of the units uh, are occupied by 55 or older. And why do they hit that 80% mark? Well, because you could have someone who's 55 who um, has basically run into a situation where they have, uh, where they have um, you know, gotten to a point where they have a younger wife, a younger husband, all that kind of stuff. So that is the situation there in regards to the extra little caveat in the federal fair housing laws that I wanted to make sure that you understood. So let's get into the anti-discriminatory practices. And I think the first one we have to discuss is steering. Steering is channeling home buyers away from or to certain areas based on them being a member of a certain protected class. So, oh, I think you would be much happier if you worked here and you were in the uh and you were in this uh, jewish community or this mostly catholic community i think this would be better for you that would be considered steering or if you don't put someone 
Like if you recommended that to this couple who was, you know, the Smiths, and then you recommended another area to the Goldbergs, you know, that is, you steered both of them, even though maybe you didn't feel like you did. Whenever you're steering, you're channeling someone to or away from an area, that's considered steering and that is illegal. The next one that we have to talk about is blockbusting. This is also known, synonymously known as panic peddling or panic selling. And that's inducing homeowners to sell by making representations regarding the entry or even the exodus of certain protected classes. Like, oh, those people are moving in or hey, did you know those people are moving out? That would potentially induce them to sell because they're fearful of what that might have to do with the market value of their home. So all that is going to be a situation that you really want to take into consideration because that could be considered blockbusting or panic selling, which is, again, steering is illegal. Blockbusting is an illegal practice. The next one that you want to know about is redlining. So redlining is refusing to make mortgage loans or to issue insurance policies in specific geographic areas without regard to economic qualifications. So basically, you're saying, okay, yeah, we're not going to lend here, okay? You're basically drawing a line there and saying we're not going to lend or issue insurance policies. That is redlining. And situation with redlining is you'll hear that a lot in the news, especially along political debate. And now I do not get into that at all because that's not, this is not the time, place, nor platform. However, um, if you ever hear in a political debate or in a political discussion, the lasting effects of redlining, well, this is the law that they're citing. And this is the practice that their citing has created lasting outcomes for certain uh, classes, certain, uh, you know, uh, ethnic backgrounds, religious backgrounds, uh, certain races, all that kind of stuff. There's a vast majority of people who have been impacted by redlining along with other practices. And all of them are illegal. All of them should not be practiced. And you should understand how to apply these scenarios and situations to the questions because again this is going to be very scenario based so with that being said guys i hope that you enjoyed this podcast i hope that this was a really easy way for you to digest some of the information again some homework for you is to really understand your state laws and how they differ and really make sure that when you're looking at a fair housing question you understand where that's coming from. So again, thank you so much for listening today, and we will talk to you real soon.